God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by the lovely Leonora Cravota. Welcome to back to The Scott Adams Show, Leonora. Well, good morning, Scott. It's great to see you looking all jiggy on a Friday morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, you got to get jiggy when you're dealing with so much... Um, so much <laughs> buffoonery. <laughs> there you <laughs> I was go. Looking for a word, and that was the word that came to mind. Biden has lost his marbles. I mean, he's he's whispering now to people. <laughs> he's like a weird whisper, the the horse whisper. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that's about. It's crazy, man. It's it's absolutely crazy that. Joe Biden is just as weird as and as funky. And then you take take a look at Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is the least likely, least credible. I mean, you know, and I'm, least likable. I thought Hillary was not likable. Kamala is even worse. As she, hard as it is to believe, she is so unlikable, and she's got this smugness about her. You know, you and I were talking about this off air, where she kind of says. I was talking. You know, it's the way it's it's the way she speaks to people. It's the condescending manner. I mean, politicians. You know, one of the things they're supposed to be is charming. Even if you don't agree with their politics, they're supposed to have a personality that's likable. And Camilla falls. Remember when Joe Biden every and fails in every arena? The most stupidest things, like Joe Biden. It's like if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Really. Oh. I looked in the mirror this morning. <laughs> and Kamala Harris, yeah. And then it was Hillary Clinton that said, what do you keep in your purse? What's the one thing you keep in your purse? Hot sauce. It's like, no, you don't. You're from Wellesley. You don't keep hot sauce in your... You're a white girl from Helsley, uh, Wellesley. Um, no way is she keeping hot sauce in her purse as the staple item. Who would walk around with hot sauce in their purse? It could spill all over the I mean, place. I mean, the that's just is, such is a like, silly thing to say. Everybody knew that was BS. It's like, why do black people consistently go back to the liberal well, <clears throat> the same party that was the grand poobah of uh, slavery, the grand poobah of segregation? You know, they basically were the 
uh, they wrote the they actually wrote the um, the uh, Jim Crow laws. They yeah. they were the authors of it. Yeah. Okay. It's like it's not the Republican Party. We were started to abolish slavery with Abraham Lincoln. We uh, converted the South into red states that were uh, integrated. Uh, you know that's the Republican history. Uh, we don't have clans been running the halls of Congress like Robert Byrd was a Democrat. I mean, they flipped they flipped the narrative upside down on its face, and you know you got this byproduct of 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 uh, this ownership. You know, like Linda B. Johnson, we're going to own the N word for the next two hundred years. Well. When are black liberals going to wake up and realize that their their um, brothers and sisters on the right and conservative uh, are really uh, the best thing that could ever happen to black America, for example? What the hell do you have to lose, right? But when we take a look at uh, Kamala, she's so unlikely. I just thought, if you're going to rig an election, how hard is it to get somebody who's just likable? I mean, how hard would it have been for the Democrats? Like, okay, we're going to ring the election, and we're going to choose a vice president that Obama's happy with. That's Kamala. You know, because she was connected with Kim Fox and Jussie Smollett and Time's Up and Tina Chen, who ran Time's Up, the founder of Time's Up, which was a Hollywood sexual harassment organization. Time's Up, well, when Kamala Harris launched her presidency... Uh, all around her was people wearing the Time's Up shirt, Tina Chen and Jesse Smollett, all wearing the Time's Up t-shirts. And they were launching, helping her launch her presidential bid, where she got less than 1% of the vote because people hate the way she is. They don't even like her. And then there's pictures of her in her swanky lingerie with... Uh, with um, uh, Montel Williams, <laughs> who's another one of the guys she was sleeping with out the wild yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, Willie Brown, the mayor of San Francisco, um, yeah, launched her career out of Willie Brown's bedroom. I mean, Kamala Harris is just so unlikable, but she's mean. She's vicious. She's absolutely, like, not likable. How the world, of all the people to pick from, it's a rigged election anyway. You, you guys are going to rigged election, and you could put a dog catcher in there and and win if you're going to rig the election with these fancy machines. So why not? How hard would it be to get somebody who's actually likable? Yeah. Like may, you know, how hard is that? I mean, I know many liberals that are likable. Yeah. And, and for the most part, they were just fine until Trump showed up in 2016. And then all hell broke loose. They blew a gasket. They never wanted to speak to me again. And they had Trump derangement syndrome. Well, and speaking of Donald Trump, Donald Trump is the one and only reason that Kamala Harris is suddenly going to the border. Yeah, you remember right. that exchange she had about two weeks ago with Lester Holt, where she basically said, "I've been, I've been to I'm, the border." He goes, no, "No, you haven't been to the border." She goes, "Well, then I haven't been to Europe either," which was such a ridiculous yeah. comment. Well, now she's probably, and I'm probably going to just do another interview and say, "Look, I've been to the border." You know, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, but she's, uh, you know, they say, you know, Trump's living rent-free in her head. 
Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. She could not let Donald Trump go with Greg Abbott first, and that's not happening until next week. So that's why she's suddenly okay. Going there, but, but here's the kicker: now, does yeah. she? Re- how sincere is she? She's going. She's supposed to be. If you want to go where the tr- trouble is, you yeah. go to McAllen, Texas. But she's that's going where, to El Paso. Right. right. She's going to El Paso, where there's no. They don't have a problem. That's Beto O'Rourke country. <laughs> The only thing that's going to happen there is they're going to take away your guns because Beta Rourke says so. He's going to be Biden's gun czar. And, you know, they're going to take away your guns at a time when they want to abolish the police and defund the police. It's like, okay, if there's no police and there's nothing but just therapists, I don't think that's going to help me when I'm getting robbed at gunpoint. Right. You know, I mean, the point is, I, you know, you need a gun to protect your family. And it doesn't matter whether or not... You decide you want a pistol or you want a shotgun or you want an uh, uh, AR-15, right? right? An Armalite, right? Yeah. What's that? I think that's what it's called. Armalite. So it's a brand. A lot of people think it's automatic rifle. Um, But no, it's Armalite rifle. Armalite. It's uh, Armalite. It's It's a brand. People don't even realize that. They think the word A, the letter A stands for automatic. It's crazy out there, folks. But, you know, the thing is, is that um, she's not even going to the right place. It's all optics. And all over Twitter, you know, you read this stuff. It's like, do they do anything that isn't a photo op? Every single thing they do is fake. You know, so they come out and they pass the infrastructure bill. Yeah. You know, and they got who? Who is it that they got along board? Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski, and oh, Lindsey Graham signed off on it too. He likes it. He likes it. He signed off on the infrastructure. But you know, they're they're um, pushing forward this infrastructure. They go to the White House uh, steps, you know, and talk to the press, act like it's some bipartisan thing that they're doing, and they try to say they didn't get all that they wanted. Meanwhile, they got Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins as the chief negotiators for the right. What in the world is Romney McDaniel and and the leadership in in, in Congress uh, on the right? What are they thinking? What is, what is, what are they thinking? McCarthy and uh, McConnell. Yeah, McCarthy and McConnell. They sound white, don't they? I they mean, do. They, McCarthy McConnell. They sound Irish, you know, whatever. But you know, the thing is, it's it's just a terrible terrible state of affairs that we're in. Because not only do we not have fighters fighting for us when we need to fight, <clears throat> and how we got here is beyond me, but we also, you know, are are now having to deal with this cancel culture again because Teddy Teddy Roosevelt yeah. Is being pulled. Finally, they got it. They yeah. got what they wanted. And alongside Teddy Roosevelt is a black man standing and a Native American Indian. You're man speaking standing. specifically of of a statue that's in front of the Natural Mu- History Museum, Museum in, New York, in, in New York in New York City. Yeah, the fa- which has been there, you know, for 
for forever. And, you know, an interesting comment I heard made about the the way the African-American and the Native American were were standing is they were standing proudly. They were not, you know, have with their ba- heads they bowed they down. They weren't being dragged. They weren't being dragged. I mean, and they were I, standing there with their own free will. Right. And he's on the horse. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong. It's, it's not uh, indicative. Indicative of subservience for them to be standing and for Teddy Roosevelt yeah. to be on a horse. Everybody knows I'm Native American. My yeah. father's a Native American Indian chief. And, you know, the thing is, is that people don't understand that these libtards, when they try to protect my feelings, right, with this cancel culture, it erases us from history. Yeah. And, and, and if you were to ask my dad, when he was chief, my father would tell you, the hardest, one of the hardest things is to raise funds to create awareness that we actually existed. Right. Uh, to make sure that the history books were written correctly. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, we don't want to lose our heritage uh, because it's being watered down through, you know, inter, interracial or mixed marriages to the point where, you know, the, the red man becomes whiter and right. whiter. Just right. like the black man becomes whiter and whiter. And so you lose your your core identity. Um, and so, you know, and I have no problem with the word red man, you know, mm-hmm. like red man chewing tobacco, right? Yeah. I think it's a cool, cool name. No problem with it. Don't tell me I'm offended. I should be offended by it. Um, because I'm, I'm a native American. I can say it. Right. But the point is, is that when Washington Redskins has to remove the face of a native American Indian off their helmet, and they start going after the Florida State Seminoles and the Atlanta Braves and the Cleveland Indians and the Golden State Warriors and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and so many other schools that have pulled the plug on Native American Indians. Let me tell you something, folks. That will have an impact of over probably $20 billion, $20 billion over the next 20 years, billions of dollars. Okay, over the next 20 years, billions of dollars in free advertising, free marketing, free branding, free awareness, right? Because when people buy those jerseys and put on those helmets and they uh, start talking about the Redskins losing another game or winning another game, it's, it's, it's branding. It's the Redskins. It's the Warriors. It's the Braves. Uh, it's the Tomahawk. It's the... Uh, Florida State Seminoles banned the use of the kid who would go out on the horse and put a spear into the 50-yard line. All of that was a dramatic license to, to celebrate the warrior, the Native American. And it was great because the government wasn't involved. It was free advertising. And it was uh, able to keep awareness of of our brand as a as a spe- as a race as a people, right? Right. So without that, how how easily and how quickly are we going to be forgotten as a, as ever existing in the first place? I mean, for crying out loud, it wasn't that long ago that even um, even uh, the Pennsylvania senator, former senator, that put stepped his foot in it. His mouth. Um, uh, Rick Santorum? Yeah, Rick Santorum. Uh, yeah, so, I, I, I met him, um, of yeah. all places, at the Bible Museum at an event that I was involved with a few years ago. Yeah, no, you know, I like a lot of what he has to say. He said something really stupid and lost his job over at CNN because he um, said something to the effect 
what was the United States before the pilgrims came? And because he was talking about critical race theory, I yeah. think, or something like that. And it's like America was nothing before that. And and then you know, and then he realized, oh well, then you got the Native American Indians, but. Uh, you know that's nothing, <laughs> and uh, he really kind of said something stupid. So he stepped in it. Okay. Hey, but you know what? I knew what he was trying to say, and you I didn't was take umbrage at it. it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, that was a dumb remark, and I'm sure he regrets it, but it didn't hurt my feelings yeah. one bit. Yeah. And uh, uh, the other part of that is he lost his job, and I said at the time when he did that, I said, you know what affects me more? It's not. The insensitivity of what Rick Santorum said, and I can tell he kind of slipped into it, <clears throat> which, believe me, I've said stupid stuff on the air. Trust me. Really? Uh, well, yeah, I know you know. <laughs> um, but the idea is is that I said what bothers me the most is when liberals try to come out of the woodwork and try to protect my feelings over this, you know, over this helmet that has a red skin on it or the Atlanta Braves tomahawk or the um, Florida State Spear uh, and the Golden State Warriors they blamed, they banned them they banned the Kansas City Chiefs if you're a fan if you're a fan you go to a game and if you're vaccinated you get the 50 yard line with your passport and if you're not vaccinated you get the end zone that's probably going to be the way it's going to go but you go to a game and you're not allowed to wear war paint you're not allowed to paint your face like a Native American Indian would put on war paint. Yeah. Right? You're not allowed to do that now. That you'll be sent off, sent away. You can't walk in here like that. So in other words, to your father's point, it's a it's a racing culture. And you know, when they when you you know, when you well, say Well what happens if I walk in with war paint? Well, they're, they're going to. I'm a they're, Native American, but they're not going to know that because you, you're only fifty percent. I have a and card. I'm, I'm, I'm well, a, I'm well, a card you would have to whip out your card. You know, like the, you do the, all am the I time. Exempt? No, you're probably going to be in trouble too for propagating a stereotype. They're going to tell you. But the thing is, the comment you were just making when you said that they that um, they're trying to protect your feelings—that's a bunch of bunk. They're not trying to protect your feelings. They're trying to continue to spin a narrative, and this is a narrative which has everybody dependent on the government because the government's going to protect everybody. But the reality is, the government wants to own you. That's why the government wants to get rid of religion. I mean, they want. Want to be the religion they want and you know and this is as we've said many many times on this show this is the slippery slope towards socialism and communism yeah well katie uh Kay- kaylee mcenany remember her oh yes the very eloquent press secretary that we used to have 10 times better than Jen and she Zaki. used to smile when she used to call on people did you know she, she would get a smile on her face and then she'd point at you I mean you didn't see that with uh, a lot of the other press well, Jen Saki though I mean they ask her softball questions there's only Peter and she Dizzy's never, the and only she never cracks a smile no they're, they're miserable the people on the left are miserable I, they, they're very unhappy people and uh, you know they embrace uh, a fringe part of society and try to build it up to Basically, chip away at our Christianity, chip away at our morale, chip away, you know, by, you know, basically recruiting transvestites and offering them up free uh, gender mutilization surgery uh, in the military is one thing. Uh, adopting critical race theory is another. And that buffoon, Mark, Mark Milley, uh, that's the head of the, the, he's the Secretary of Defense, 
What a buffoon that guy yeah. is. We're going to play a clip related to that uh, on uh, where uh, yeah. Tucker was talking about it yeah. in just a moment. But I want you to listen to this Biden whispering. And I'm not playing this because I want to make fun of Joe Biden whispering, although that is ridiculous. I mean, Kaylee McEnany said, what did I just watch? There's a weirdo in the White House and he whispers. He's, he's a weirdo. But I actually take issue with what he said and what he meant to say. And I want to talk about that just after we take a listen to this. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential. I wrote the bill on the environment. Pay them more. This is an employee's employees bargaining chip now. What's happening? Think about that, what he just said, though. Let's take, let's take a listen one more time. Okay, so he got the $1.9 trillion. Okay, where did that money come from? Talk about redistribution of wealth. Right? That comes from the middle class working taxpayers. The, the same people that he ended thousands of their jobs through Keystone Pipeline. Yeah. Right? Now he's taking money out of their pocket to actually subsidize low-wage jobs, yeah. entry-level jobs, and... For what? So that he could basically, because they can't pass minimum wage, because everybody knows that when you when you set a standard for fifteen dollar minimum wage in a in a town where entry level jobs are paying eight to ten, they're going to automate the role. They're going to automate that position. Basically, you know, you're going to be talking to a kiosk to get your burger, yeah. right? You're not going to be talking to a person anymore. And that's that's going to be the end result of that, and uh, they're going to put small mom and pop out of business. Yeah. Right. So the point is, it's not his money. He's not writing that check. You know, it reminds me of Dinesh D'Souza when he's talking about the horse and, and the, the sandwich. And, the sandwich. and then along came Obama on yeah. a horse. I, yeah. I like that clip. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll play that if we have time today. But in any case, let's take a listen again. Relief so far. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential. They're going to be getting checks in the mail that are consequential? Wow. So no wonder there's help wanted everywhere, and yet unemployment seems to be going up. Right. Well, And you know there are places, uh, fast food places, that are hiring teenagers and paying them $50,000 a year salary. But the jobs report said jobless claims went up. They went up because you know why? You're getting that additional check. That's that's what he's that's what he's doing. He's controlling. He listen, folks. Yeah. This is not a game. This is not just buffoonery where he's just a stupid idiot that doesn't understand economics. This is more than that. This is conditioning you all. Yes. This is conditioning your will to work. This is a globalist wet dream. This is a globalist utopia about population control. I said here, I said the whole point of the 70% vaccines equals power and control over populations and people. Globalists, utopia. Basically, when globalists start wars, 
They create refugees. They benefit from the refugees, yeah. importing them in as slave labor markets. And there's a reason why you have socialists that are at the head, at the board, like, like Valerie Jarrett is on the board of Lyft and Uber, right? Lyft. She's on the board of Lyft. Why? If you go into a Lyft car, chances are you're going to have somebody from South America or Africa. And the idea is that they are the conduit to what to to allow. When you bring in all these refugees in, you need to find them a a uh, like a railroad to a job. Yeah. You the underground railroad, right? How the we move people in and move people up right. in places. They're doing an underground railroad in a very virtual kind of way. People are coming in. So if they bomb the heck out of Syria, they basically are stealing Syria's wealth. They're basically stealing Syria's manpower. They're basically stealing Syria's ability to defend itself. Because it seems like fighting age males were migrating to, to, to Germany. And they were being put up in these condos. And they were being offered jobs in gig economies whose board members were radically socialist, globalist, liberals, Marxists, like Valerie Jarrett is. Yeah. It's, you know, basically a right-hand arm of Barack Hussein Obama. Who wanted to redistribute wealth? Just ask Joe the plumber. That's what he told Joe the plumber. <clears throat> so the point is, is that this is all about conditioning. This is all about carrots and sticks. And rather than do the stick, which people object to, they're doing it with carrots. Gee, aren't we nice? They get together at these G7 summits and they control how many lives they want to save and how many they don't through vaccine investments and all kinds of stuff for what for a virus that they more than likely created themselves Mm -hmm. so they create the conflict then they create the solution that supports their interests see so if they go in and they bomb syria not only is there a military industrial complex black market that's getting a lot of politicians rich like lindsey graham but they're also benefiting from the after effect of getting these refugees, getting these people to turn in, turning their their land into an unlivable condition, to get them to become refugees, to bring them in and act like we're helping, but really they can they initiated the problem to begin with. So they created the it's like a a fire chief who actually sets the forest on fire and then basically has job security because he now has to put the fire out. Yeah, And now he's a hero because he knows how to put the fire out. And he saved all these lives. No, he whatever life was lost, he cost. So it's not, this, you know, it's not what it appears. And so when you bomb Syria, create an unlivable condition, create a refugee crisis. Now you've actually taken this desperate group of people that wasn't desperate before. They were middle class, working, taxpaying citizens of Syria and now you've actually brought them to rubble they come crying to you on their knees begging for help and you give them a car to drive in 
and tell them they can go and be uh, a taxi driver. Now, that's not what they were. In, in many of these cases, these were engineers and doctors that we actually have driving us now in Washington, D.C., in these lift cars. Oh, you're a doctor. Yeah, but I'm not licensed here. Yeah. They would tell you. Yeah, well, and that, and that has been happening since the beginning of time, is that immigrants come over here and they can't necessarily practice the profession they had in, in their countries, and they start with uh, jobs So Joe Biden, like when, he, when he's whispering there, he's talking about controlling the job market, and he's talking about a bargaining chip. This is a, he says this. Oh, I wrote the bill on the environment. Pay them more. Pay them more. This is an employee's, employee's bargaining chip now. This is an employee's bargaining mm-hmm. chip now. Yeah. So now the employees get to actually dictate the terms to the employer. Yeah. And it's going to put the employer out of business. Isn't this, isn't this actually, think about this now. Isn't this the same as what the unions did in the 70s yeah. in, in the mill towns throughout Youngstown and, and Steubenville, Ohio and Pittsburgh and the Ohio Valley in general? Uh, the western part of PA and the northeast part of Kentucky and the east, southeastern part of Ohio was decimated by the unions. How about the, what happened to Detroit? In 1960, thanks to Ford and and all the motor companies, Detroit was one of the richest cities in the world, run by Republicans. All of a sudden, since 1960, they've been controlled by uh, Democrat mayors, corrupt mayors that, that played ball and corruption with the unions. And the unions are like a basically a, a gang, a mob, and the people that run it, don't really have their workers' best interests at heart. They're getting kickbacks and all kinds of perks. And they dictate the terms. And they go on strike. And they cause these, they, you know, these, these uh, unnatural economic tactics that eventually they win in the short term, but they lose in the long term. Just like governments overspending, stimulating the economy, does stimulate the economy in the short term, but in the long term, it devaluates the dollar and creates inflation, and eventually you run out of other people's money, and it doesn't work out so well, and you have a massive economic collapse. And this moron, this buffoon that's talking about this is bragging about it like he's some sort of smart dude, Mm -hmm. and he's not. So that's what we're up against right now. And uh, we're faced with this stuff. Meanwhile, we have all kinds of injustices going on. Julie Kelly wrote this uh, piece. She, she's been on this January 6th insurrection, yeah. Yeah. infiltration. It wasn't an insurrection. It was an infiltration. And it was run by, in some part, by the FBI. FBI turned a blind eye. And you got to wonder what their motives were. But Julie Kelly writes this about January 6th. This is yet another one. Chris Ray ought to be shot. That guy is an absolute miserable human being. After apologizing, Julie Kelly writes this. After apologizing for her white privilege and not, not and nonviolent involvement in the Capitol protest 
An Indiana grandmother pleaded guilty to picketing Congress. She'll be on probation for three years. So the purge of the populist mindset is underway, courtesy of the fetid beltway judicial system. Judges routinely lecture defendants about the wrong think of a stolen election, while prosecutors openly mock their political beliefs, including homeschooling and gun ownership. Homeschooling takes the power away from the teachers' unions, and the guns uh, are an equalizer yeah. when you come, uh, when the feds come and knocking at your door with all kinds of injustice. Just take uh, someone like Roger Stone or Paul Manafort as an example. They didn't break into Podesta's house, and yet Podesta's were guilty of the same things. Yeah. Um, so it's just not fair. It's not reasonable. It's not rational. It's not right. So that's it, what we're... Go it, ahead. It's like, it's you know, she in her article, she talks about it like it's a deprogramming of... Uh, the people who attended um, the events on January 6th and, for, you know, what you were mentioning with the grandmother, the, uh, there were a lot of other people are being treated the same way where they're suddenly being asked to reexamine their lives. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is very similar to the critical race theory. I want to take a listen to Mark Milley, who is basically uh, endorsing for the military uh, critical race theory. What an idiot. Mark, uh, General Mark Milley. Let's take a listen to tr uh, Tucker making an example of him. Hard oh, believe on. that man wears a uniform. Hard to believe that man wears a uniform. He's that unimpressive. Notice he never defined white rage, and we should know what it is. What is white rage? Well, like drapedomania, it's one of those diseases that only affect people with certain melanin levels. It's a race-specific illness. That's what Mark Milley has learned from reading about it. That's why he's making his soldiers read about it, too. They need to know. Watch. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend. And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke. <laughs> he's not just a pig, he's stupid. So Mark Milley reads Mao to understand Maoism. He reads communists to understand communism. But it's interesting that he doesn't read white supremacists to understand white supremacy. Why not go to the source? Well, because Mark Milley would be fired instantly if he read those books, and getting fired is the one thing he doesn't want. So he reads about white rage as if it's totally real. It's a medical condition. <laughs> and by the way, since it's a medical condition, at what age can you catch white rage, by the way? Most of us assume that our two-year-olds were just teething. Now we know it's their whiteness that's making them so angry. Thanks, Mark Milley. We appreciate your contribution to our generation's scientific racism. By the way, have you read anything recently about winning wars? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> that last jab was a doozy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing stuff. Um, but there are some good news bits. Uh, there's something going on in Fulton where uh, Vote GA uh, is basically green-lighted to um, it's a group that's been uh, litigating 
and they won the right to unseal the ballots and to evaluate the ballots for wrongdoing. Well, that's good. And that means they could go as they could go forensic on it if they want. If they unseal it. And, and when we're speaking about Fulton, we're talking about Georgia. Fulton County. Right. Yeah, Fulton Atlanta, County, Georgia. Atlanta. And so, you know, that to me is a kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's a bit of a victory. Uh, um, because I I think that there was a lot of fraud in Georgia. Um as I think that there's going to be uh, some really great revelations uh, from Arizona. I just, the thing is, it's looking more like August or even September. I mean, they have to count all, in Arizona, they have to now count all these signature ballots. And they have to, you know, basically, they the, the one problem with the Arizona audit is they, they can't connect the vote. Once they open up the envelope, they got the signature envelope, and then they got the vote. They, they got the vote, the ballot. Wow. And they put the ballot in one stack over on the left, and they put the signature ballot some in some other stack over on the right. And they can never now be matched up because the ballots are anonymous. So there's no tracking code. Yeah. And that's... Why they don't have a barcode system yeah. is beyond me. Where this, you know, where they can put these and stack them, stack these uh, in, in numerical order, you know, these barcodes, and somehow process them in a, in, in a certain way, or at least process them and scan them into a system and then calculate them on a query based system where you can match up the signatures. Uh, you know, and say, okay, because at the, at the end of the day, if you come up with 300,000 uh, spoil, spoilage where there's no signatures, well, no signatures, you know, is what they're looking for, right? So they're basically looking for no signatures because signature verification is a little bit difficult. So they're going to look for no, no signatures. So basically, three, three, say they come up with 300,000 uh, that are missing a signature. Now the idea, and that's, a, that's an arbitrary number, by the way, but 300,000. And then they got three, they say, well, okay, this is going to be that we're going to throw out 300,000 votes, right? Because you have to throw those out. By law, if they don't have a signature, you throw them out. But how do they break down in terms of votes? If they were traceable to a voting sheet, then that would have made a lot more sense because then you could say of the 300,000, 85% of those non-signature votes went to Joe Biden. Yeah. Right? Now you would just say, okay, well, that's about 250,000, 260,000 votes that go to Trump or, or, you know, get taken away from Biden and only, you know, X amount get taken away from Trump. Now, in a, in a state where it's separated by 10,000 votes, Trump's the winner. It's clear. It's obvious. Now, I don't know. I'm just like a talk show host here. Uh, but how, why is it that I have to think about that? Yeah. You know, I, I don't quite get it why they can't figure these things out. You know, it's really simple. If you want election integrity, there's got to be, there, there are all kinds of ways to have integrity. I get the impression they don't want integrity. And so what are they going to do with these 300,000 votes? 
you know, when they find 300,000 lacking a signature, what are they going to do? They're going to throw out 300,000 votes, but who are they going to take it from? That's the point, yeah. right? And then there's going to be this litigation that's going to say, how do you know they, they, those weren't all uh, Trump votes? Right. So, so then they're going to try to argue that, you know, Biden won by 300,000 votes rather than... Uh, um, rather than, sorry about that, folks. Um, rather than uh, you know ten thousand, so it's just it just makes for more problems, right? It makes for more problems. I want to play this other uh, thing. I want to switch over to COVID a little bit. Yeah. Now there is this article that says CDC advisory group says there is a likely link between COVID nineteen vaccines and rare heart inflammation in young adults after nearly 500 reported cases. Now, that being said, this is just a recent article that came out. It says, an advisory group for the Center for Disease Control uh, and Prevention say there is a likely link between rare cases of heart inflammation in adolescents and young adults and the Pfizer, BioTech, and Moderna vaccines. Now, there is this thing where um, uh, AstraZeneca, the, uh, I guess the Canadian, this Canadian foreign mm-hmm. minister, took the AstraZeneca. And it was like there's a difference, a uh, fundamental difference in b- between the different drugs, um, Pfizer, Moderna, and AstraZeneca. But uh, it's a mess because the, if you take the AstraZeneca, you're going to also have to take Pfizer or Moderna. As a second shot, it's like kind of crazy, and in uh, AstraZeneca, it was also known to cause blood clotting. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people were very concerned, and then there's also this issue about platelets. Yeah. Um, that that it reduces your platelets. Right. And that that can be a huge health concern. Absolutely. So, there's a lot of concerns, and why this is important, it's not just because of health. It's also because of power. Because as more and more people, like we just reported um, that in Boston Herald reported 4,000 people in Massachusetts who are fully vaccinated tested positive for COVID. So now you're like, okay, what is that number going to be? Is it going to be like, what percentage of the people that get fully vaccinated? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? They can get COVID again? And why then wouldn't we reconsider the antibody? And, you know, what if you have COVID and you have an antibody, that you shouldn't have to take the vaccine because the antibody works more foolproof than that. Yeah, well, I think we should be open to new approaches. And Well, then there's therapeutics and mitigation. Right. The ivermectin, for example. Right. Right? So we have a, a guy, you know, we have, um, well, this interview related to ivermectin, uh, was very promising. I want to play that real quick, and then I'm going to play this Tucker Carlson interview with the with the guy who actually invented the RDNA. But first, this is a short clip, so we're going to go ahead and play this one. This is the guy we played a little bit of him before. He was the guy that was basically saying ivermectin is the is the is the bee's knees. So the bee's let's knees. take let's take a listen to this. 
Hector Carvalho, who's a researcher um, uh, down in Argentina, who's now a friend of mine. I, I love Hector. He's a really interesting guy. And he's another one who's just fighting for good treatment. Um, and he did a study with his colleagues where they didn't do a randomized study, Brett. Sorry. Oh, no. In a pandemic, they didn't <laughs> randomize it. But they basically got 1,200 healthcare workers, high-risk people. And they asked them who would take the ivermectin. 788 took ivermectin once a week for 10 weeks. And then the other 407 didn't. Nobody got COVID in the 788 who took it weekly. Now, there's a bunch of studies. Some are every two weeks, some are every month. But all of them have single-digit risks of getting COVID. But the ones that, the ones that take once a week are 0%. Nobody got COVID if you took it once a week. The tr the group who didn't take it at all in this high risk, fifty eight percent got sick. Fifty eight percent got I know sick versus zero. That's like a big zero. difference. It's almost like one of those college football games where like you have like a, a Big Ten team that plays like some little nobody, and it's like fifty eight to zero. Right? So it's let's not see. subtle. Fifty eight. <laughs> well, it's also um, it's infinitely different. Fifty eight percent. Yeah, so 58, it's absolutely, why wouldn't we be taking that? And also the other point. And again, we, remember we were talking, it was off patent. Well, that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. There's a financial incentive to the pharmaceutical companies to create uh, new drugs that are more advanced versions in some ways, minor ways, than the ones that are currently off patent. But the off patent drugs, like, uh, what's the, how do you pronounce the name of the drug? Ivermectin. Ivermectin is off patent, so it would create uh, less revenue for the company, but it would have the same efficacy as whatever they else they might produce. And that they, when they've interviewed doctors about this, what they have said is they can't imagine something that is being created that is significantly better than you gotta ivermectin. The, you got to get to the motivating factor. It's financials. They, yeah. But, it's but, money. But, but And why is it that the governor of nevada and the governor of michigan whitmer um why in the world were they um banning hydroxychloroquine when doctors are saying this works better than what we have available to us right, right now why can't we use it and they were banning it because they want i think that they wanted to use COVID as a way to rig election well, they wanted uh, to use to, COVID to, to as a way to the control mail -in, people. The mail-in and ballot harvesting and the need for that in a crisis. Uh, and they didn't care how many people's lives were lost. Otherwise, if you cared about people's lives being lost, you would not rule out any mitigating therapeutic. Yeah, uh, You would not do it. You would say, I want every single solution, yeah. good, bad, and ugly. I want them all. I want the doctors, uh, every doctor... Not just Dr. Fauci. And, you know, we know that Dr. Fauci uh, was was lying to us, yeah. right? I'm, so it's absolutely crazy. But we're going to take a listen to Tucker Carlson, who talks to this uh, Dr. Robert Malone uh, about he's the inventor of the RDNA vac hmm. vaccine. And he got banned from Facebook and, and YouTube. Yeah. He's been censored. And yet he's the guy who actually did it, wrote it. It's unbelievable. Beginning of the pandemic, key pieces of medical guidance from the World Health Organization have proven to be disastrously false, false enough to cost lives. It was the WHO, you will remember, that told us that COVID could not be transmitted between people, even as the virus was spreading here to the United States. 
It was the WHO that worked in stealth with the Chinese government to obscure the source of the outbreak at the very beginning and then hide its origins from the world. We're not attacking the World Health Organization. Those are statements of fact. You'd think they would be disqualifying, but just the opposite has proven to be true. For more than a year, the tech monopolies of Silicon Valley have used the World Health Organization's official statements to determine what American news consumers are allowed to know and what they should be prohibited from knowing about COVID. Facebook even announced a formal partnership with the WHO, quote, to bring up to date and accurate information to billions of people. So that partnership between a China-controlled NGO, the World Health Organization, and the China-beholden tech platforms in this country continued smoothly until just a few days ago. That's when the bureaucrats at the World Health Organization published new vaccine guidance. Here's what it says. Children should not take the coronavirus vaccine. Why? Because the drugs are too dangerous. There's not nearly enough data to understand their long-term effects or to show that the benefits of the drugs are worth the risks they bring. This is terrible news, of course, for the pharmaceutical industry. Big Pharma has been planning to test the vaccine on six-month-olds. It's deeply embarrassing for much of the American news media, which have taken a quick break from ginning up hysteria about Russian spies to sell vaccines to their viewers, which they have been assiduously doing, in case you haven't noticed. And above all, it is a shocking repudiation of the American health establishment, which has been relentlessly pushing universal vaccination, including for children. Here, for example, is Biden's top coronavirus advisor, Zeke Emanuel, telling us that young people should be required to get the shot. Watch. There are clearly places where you're congregating people that we should have mandates. Students in universities, my university, for example, faculty and staff, healthcare facilities. Every healthcare worker ought to be vaccinated. I shouldn't have to worry, has my doctor been vaccinated? Has that nurse been vaccinated? And I think employers ought to take this very seriously and consider uh, uh, mandating and requiring their workers to get vaccinated, especially if they're going to come back to the office. Wait a second, Zeke Emanuel. If you've been vaccinated, why would you worry about whether the people around you have been vaccinated if the vaccines work? Kind of an obvious question. No one's ever asked it. Someone should. But they may not have a chance because the World Health Organization's latest finding that vaccines are not safe for children changes the conversation completely. And it threatens everything that reckless creeps like Zika Manual and the pharmaceutical industry have been working for. More vaccines, no matter what the human cost, that is their position. In the end, the forces of recklessness, however, appear to have more power even than the World Health Organization. And here's how we know. In remarkable about face, Silicon Valley has decided the WHO is in fact not reliable. It's a disseminator of disinformation. Facebook has just censored a woman called Michelle Coriati Herbst for sharing the WHO's bulletins on vaccines word for word. She just posted it. Facebook deleted it. Quote, your comment goes against our community standards on spam, Facebook wrote. So this is Silicon Valley's new policy. Everything about vaccines is good, period. And you are not allowed to suggest otherwise, no matter what data you might have, no matter what health organization tells you. An epidemiology PhD called Tracy Hogue learned this recently. She posted slides from the CDC's own website, right from the website, showing that rates of myocarditis, that's a potentially fatal heart inflammation, are extremely high in young people who have taken the vaccine. That's not in dispute anymore, by the way. The CDC's preliminary investigation has just confirmed that there is, in fact, a link between the vaccine and myocarditis. 
As Hogue put it, we are standing on shaky ground if we say the risk to otherwise healthy kids from COVID-19 is higher than it is from the vaccine. She wrote that on Twitter. It's true. It's been confirmed by the CDC, and Twitter censored her. Why? It makes you wonder, why is that the one forbidden thing? And while we're at it, what are the risks from vaccines? All medicines come with risk. What's the risk from the vaccines? What's the real answer? We should know. Well, two medical school professors, Joseph Lepato from UCLA and Harvey Risch from Yale, recently tried to find out. They outlined what they found in the Wall Street Journal. They discovered that the VAERS system, that's the biggest database of self-reported vaccine harm that we have in this country, isn't simply showing elevated rates of myocarditis, though those are vastly elevated. It is also showing much higher rates of other very serious complications, low platelets, for example, deep vein thrombosis, and death, many deaths. The implication, they concluded, quote, is that the risks of a COVID-19 vaccine may outweigh the benefits for certain low-risk populations, such as children, young adults, and people who have recovered from COVID-19, end quote. That's what the data show, clearly. But instead of listening to the science, many schools and countless employers are mandating that everyone take the shot, even people who've already had COVID and recovered, people who do not need the shot. Why are they doing this? It's lunacy. Well, presumably because people like Tony Fauci told them that these vaccines are more effective than natural immunity. Is that true? No, it is not true. There are no data to support that claim, but Tony Fauci says it anyway. We know that reinfections with a homologous strain, namely the same strain as initial infection, remain rare. They occur, but they're rare. Vaccination in people previously infected significantly boosts the immune response and likely, as I'm going to show you in a moment, providing better protection against certain variants. And then the issue of vaccines actually, at least with regard to SARS-CoV-2, can do better than nature. College students are being forced, young adults in the prime of their lives are being forced to take the vaccine because Tony Fauci said that, even though they don't need it, and in some cases don't want it. So what will the effects on them be? Well, judging by the VAERS reporting system, we can be certain that some will be harmed. Beyond that, we can't be sure. And as it turns out, we aren't even sure what effects this vaccine has on the elderly. Now, that's the one group we were told from day one should take the vaccine as quickly as possible. And most of us, everyone on this show for certain, believe that. But new numbers are coming. The Norwegian Medicines Agency, for example, has found that the vaccine may increase the risk of death in the elderly as well. The Norwegian study conducted a study of 100 nursing home residents who died after receiving Pfizer's corona shot. They found that at least 10 of those deaths were, quote, likely caused by the vaccine, 10%. And of those In 26 other cases, they believe they were possibly caused by the vaccine. So what explains those numbers? This appears to be happening. Why is it happening? Well, a physician called Robert Malone tried to address that question recently in a podcast that was broadcast on YouTube. That's where we have to stop it, yeah, Mm -hmm. because uh, we're out of time. But uh, Robert Malone basically says the databases are inadequate. And he was one of the inventors. He would recommend yeah, yeah. children not taking it. But that we're at the end of the show. Uh, so I just want to say thank you all for listening. 
My name is Scott Adams. My name is Leonor Corvetta. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye now. <laughs>